Good morning, everyone. I'm Pip, and I have the privilege of reading the Bible for us this morning. Um, Today, we are reading from Genesis chapter 16, so feel free to follow along on your devices or your Bibles. We've got some church Bibles at the back if you um, would like to use one of those, or on the screen as well. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. But she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go, sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan ten years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms and now she knows she is pregnant. She despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar. So she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, You are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him and he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well was called Beer Lahai Roy. It is still there between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abram a son. And Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son he had born. She had born. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. We're looking for room seven. Yeah, I figured. You want me to even those up for you? (laughs) How do I get to room seven? That'll be on the seventh floor. Stairs right over there. I'd rather take the elevator. Out of order. I love the stairs, though. They were my second choice. Do you mind giving me a hand with this floor? What? <laughs> That's good. Are you serious? Oh, uh, I'm kind of busy. Um, rain check. I'll hold you to it. I'm free on the seventh! That's seven! Seventh, that's seven it is. 
This looks promising. Hello? Another gigantic, ginormic waste of my life. Hello? Yo, I'm looking for whoever runs this joint. Be right with you. I'm trying to fix a light. Tell me if it's working. Yeah, seems to be. Kind of bright, though. Yeah, it is for most people. Spend their lives in the dark, trying to hide from me. Well, the elevator's broken, huh? Yeah, but I'll get around to it. You install the clapper? No, but catch a jingle, isn't it? <laughs> clap on, clap on, clap on, clap on. The clapper. <laughs> Just can't get it out of my head, man. Well, good luck with that. I'm gonna go now. Okay, but the boss be right out. You must be Bruce. I've been expecting you. This is hilarious. So you're the boss and the electrician and the janitor. Must be a killer Christmas party. Don't get drunk, though. One of you might need a ride home. <laughs> you always were funny, Bruce. That's like your father. He didn't mind rolling up his sleeves either, son. People underestimate the benefit of good old manual labor. It's freedom in it. Some of the happiest people in the world go home smelling to high heaven at the end of the day. All right, what is this? How do you know my father, and how do you get my pager number? Oh, I know quite a lot about you, Bruce. Just about everything there is to know. Everything you've ever said, or done, or thought about doing, right there in that file cabinet. Wow, a whole drawer just for me. Mind if I take a look? It's your life. That sounds pretty good. <laughs> now, this last entry was a little disturbing. That's a clip from the movie Bruce Almighty. There you saw Bruce, Jim Carey, and he meets God, who's Morgan Freeman. Although it takes a little while for Bruce to realize that it's God. Because God is not what Bruce expects him to be like. I wonder, have you ever thought what it would be like if you met God what would you expect God to be like? What would you expect him to, to, to say or to do? Well, we're about to start a new series in the lead up to Christmas. Of course, Christmas is the time where God comes and he meets us. God comes down in the person of Jesus and he shows us what he really is like. So in the lead up to Christmas, we're actually going to take a step back into the Old Testament and see a few times when other people have met God. It called this series Amazing Encounters because each time someone meets God, it really is quite amazing 
Because when people meet God, there's more than just the, 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 the seeing him, the face-to-face interaction. When people meet God, they also get to know him, know him more deeply. And, and for us, uh, as we get to meet God through their eyes and through their experiences, we ourselves are going to catch a glimpse of our God. We're going to meet the Lord And so I expect that we too will be enriched by this as we encounter and dwell on who our God is. And today we're going to start off not with a great hero of the faith, not with someone who's particularly well known, but we're actually starting off in an odd place with an Egyptian slave woman who finds herself in a twisted web of trouble. Well, let's get into it, shall we? Firstly, though, a bit of background. Um, Pip just read for us Genesis chapter 16. Now, Genesis is the first book in the Bible, so we're pretty close to the beginning here. Uh, but the central person at this time in God's plan is a person called Abram. Uh, he'll, be, he'll go on to be known as Abraham. Uh, but at this stage, that name change hasn't happened yet. In Genesis chapter 12, God gave Abraham some really great promises and they were reaffirmed in chapter 15. Uh, God God has told Abraham, leave your home, leave the place where you live and and go to a new place I'm going to show you. I'm going to make your descendants into a great nation. I'm going to give them this this, this patch of land to be theirs. And in fact, the whole world, Abram, is going to be blessed through your family. Now, Abram's not a young man. He was probably about 75 when God first spoke to him. And so a little while on, in Genesis chapter 15, Abram's worried, actually, this is not going to happen, is it? I'm childless. How can all these promises come to me without a kid, without a son? He says to God, one of my my servants, Eliezer, is going to inherit everything I own when I die. So how can these promises come true? And so in Genesis chapter 15, God reassures Abram. He said, no, 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 no. It's not Eliezer who will inherit your stuff. You're going to have, and this is important, you're going to have your own flesh and blood son. That is your son. And so then we come to chapter 16, which Pip just read out for us. It's been 10 years since God first spoke to Abram. Abram's now 85 years old. 10 years since Abram and his wife left behind their home to wander around in a part of the world they'd never been to. Ten years they've been waiting for God to come good on his promise, and nothing, nothing has happened. So, Sarai takes things into her own hand, and she comes up with a plan to make sure the promises happen. You can see her solution in verse 1 and 2. Let me read out verse 1 and 2. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go, sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Now, you see here, if Hagar bears Abram a child, it will be Abram's own flesh and blood son. This is a way... For, for Sarah to make the promises of God come to be. Good plan, right? And, and, you know, actually, in the ancient world, this kind of thing wasn't unheard of. It was like a primitive form of surrogacy. Good plan, right? 
But I'm sure as we read those words that Sarah spoke to Abram, something just sounds off, doesn't it? I mean, she's giving her husband another woman to sleep with. And she thinks that she can raise a family for herself through Hagar's child. I wonder, what does Hagar think of that? No, it's to be my child. Imagine actually being Abram in this situation. Imagine hearing your wife say this to you. What do you do? You know, husband, here's another woman. Go and sleep with her. Husbands in the room? Surely there has to be part of your mind with the guys alarm bells ringing off saying, this is, don't, this won't end well. Unfortunately for Abram, he wasn't paying attention to the alarm bells in his head that day. And so he agrees with what Sarai says. And lo and behold, Hagar is pregnant. So apparently Sarai's plan has worked, right? Abraham is about to have his own flesh and blood son. This is going to be happy days for everyone. Perhaps this is no surprise then. No is the answer. Very quickly, things turn very ugly. Firstly, look at what Hagar does. Verse 4. When she, as Hagar, when she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress, Sarai. That is, Hagar looked down on Sarai. Hagar's opinion was, I'm better than her now. I can have kids and she can't. And what does Sarai do? Well, she lashes out at Abram. Look at verse 5. You're responsible for the wrong I'm suffering. I put my slave in your arms and now she knows she's pregnant. She despises me. Well, may the Lord judge between you and me, Abram. You see what she's saying, right? Look how I'm being treated here. And it's your fault, Abram. God is going to judge you for this, Abram. As if it was his idea all along. And how does Abram act then? Well, he doesn't look very good either. Here's the moment where he needs to step up, but he fails to. He fails to take responsibility. He just kind of shrugs his shoulders and he says, you deal with it, Sarai. Look at verse 6. Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do whatever you think is best. What kind of response is this? This is the moment that he needs to reassure Sarai, his wife, that he is committed to her. This is the moment he needs to ensure that Hagar, who is the mother of his child, is cared for and protected. But instead, he just tries to wash his hands of the whole thing and walk back. She's your slave. You figure out what to do, Sarah. Come on. And Sarah, again, she she does. She, She decides to take charge and she mistreats Hagar. If this slave girl is going to look down on me, I'll show her who's boss. At this point, nobody looks good, do they? People here, they're all painfully flawed. But amongst the three, there is only one who is clearly powerless, and that is Hagar. She can't change anything here. She's at the mercy of the other two. And so she does the only thing she can think of. She runs away. But it's at that moment we really get to the heart 
of this chapter when Hagar meets her God. It seems that Hagar is heading back towards Egypt. At least that's the direction she's traveling in, and that makes sense. She's an Egyptian woman, so perhaps she's thinking, well, my best chance here is to get back to people who know me, my, my, my own kind of flesh and blood people. Maybe I can start a new life there. Uh, but in verse 7, we find her stopped near a spring in the desert, which should make us wonder, has she just you know, stopped off for a moment to, to, to grab a drink here? Or, or is she in more trouble? I mean, think about it for a moment. Pregnant woman, walking long, long distances through the desert. It sounds like a recipe for disaster, doesn't it? And it's at that moment that the angel of the Lord meets her. Uh, take a moment to talk about this angel of the Lord. Who is this angel of the Lord? What? This is actually the first time in the Bible I think we've met the angel of the Lord. But he appears again and again. You'll see him appear to Abram in Genesis 22, to Moses in Exodus 3, to Balaam in Numbers 22, and so on and so on throughout a lot of the Old Testament. You meet the angel of the Lord pretty regularly. Um, but here's the key. The angel of the Lord is no mere angel, but he's actually the Lord himself, God appearing to people. Each time he appears, at the beginning, he's identified as this angel of the Lord, but then each time the person who real, who, who's meeting him, eventually they realize, this is no angel. This is God. And it's the same here. The angel of the Lord appears to Hagar, but in verse 13, she realizes she's been talking to the Lord all along. So in the desert, Hagar, in a world of trouble, and God meets her. Initially, there's no kind of big surprise from Hagar at this. After all, she, I mean, she has lived with Abram's family for a long time. She's probably heard the stories of Abram himself meeting God. So when God asks her, where are you going? Her reply is pretty simple. I'm running away from my mistress. Hagar here, she's all business, right? She, she knows what she's doing. Uh, here's what's going to happen now. Watch me go. But then God says three things to Hagar, and they change what she does in that moment, and they actually change what she does for a whole lifetime after that. Here's the first thing God says to her. Go back. Verse 9, go back to your mistress and submit to her. It hasn't been nice lately, but go back to Abram and Sarai. At this point, friends, I just need to make a quick aside. Um, this is not the main point of the passage, but given where our, 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 our culture is at the moment, it's helpful for me to say this. Um, this, this is a passage that's not about domestic violence. And this is not, let me be clear, this is not God telling uh, domestic violence victims to go back to their abusive partners. Are we, we, we clear on that? The, 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 God here, he's talking to a particular person in a particular time. He's talking to Hagar, who, who bore Abram's first child, a child who, who is associated with great promises. This is not an ordinary situation. God is not talking to you if you're a domestic violence victim. You're not alone in the desert, pregnant and vulnerable. 
And, and notice here as well, that, that God, isn't, God isn't even telling Hagar to go back to an abusive partner. This is probably more closely related to going to work for a boss who's a bit of a scumbag. Um, God is telling Hagar to go back into a situation that is far from ideal, but, but we ought not make that connection to, to mean that God is telling her to go back. It was, sorry, we ought not make the connection to, to the present day thing with domestic violence. This is not God telling domestic violence victims to go back to their partners. If you are in that situation, like, can I say, the best thing to do is, is get out of the situation. Um, and if you need help to do that, please, please reach out. Um, please reach out to me. Please reach out to uh, uh, Ada, who works for our church here. Please reach out to, reach out to a, a, a Christian friend that you trust. And I, I want to say to you, we, we will do what we can to help. We will do what we can to help. If you're in that situation, the best thing to do is get, get out. And this Bible passage is not telling DV victims to stay with their abusive partners. That, that's a, just a little aside for the moment. I feel like we need to say that. Um, but back, back to the passage. When, when Hagar meets God, he says three things to her. The first is go back. And the second is, uh, well, God makes a promise to Hagar about her descendants. Look at verse 10. God says, I'll increase your descendants so much... They'll be too numerous to count. You know, when God looks at Hagar here, what is he seeing? It's pretty clear. He's not seeing an Egyptian slave girl like most of the rest of the world. God, God sees a great matriarch of a nation that's going to come. And notice actually how similar this promise is to the promise that God makes to Abram himself. And th- this is what God promised to Abram. Uh, look up in the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And now here in in, in Genesis 16, God makes that very same promise to Hagar about her descendants. It's a wonderful thing. The third thing God says says to Hagar is this. He he gives the unborn child a name. Uh, Look at verse 11. You're now pregnant and you'll give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael. For the Lord has heard of your misery. Now, the name Ishmael means God hears. Uh, because God has heard. God has heard Hagar's misery. God, God has heard the trouble she's in. It hasn't gone unnoticed. So, Hagar's in trouble in the desert. God meets her and he says these three things. And what does Hagar do in response? It's actually something that, that I thought was quite odd when I was reading through. Hagar gives God a name. She calls him the God who sees me. It's as if now she realizes, as God has, has, has turned up, as God has spoken and, and, and spoken these three things to Hagar, she's realized God has seen me. My trouble hasn't gone unnoticed. God has been paying attention. More on that in a moment. But firstly, uh, let's see how this, this chapter ends. And actually, things end way better than could be expected. Uh, Hagar returns to Abram and Sarai. She has the baby boy. But verse 15 is really important. Let me take you to verse 15. It says, So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram gave him the name, uh, sorry, Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son she'd born. Yeah. 
Notice there, who named the baby? It was Abram, not Hagar. And what name did Abram give the child? It was Ishmael, which is the name that God told Hagar to give the boy. Which tells us, now, when, since, since she's gone back, since Hagar's gone back, Abram has actually listened to, to the voice of Hagar. He's no longer just trying to wash his hands of the situation and step back. He's listened to Hagar. And that's why he gets the name Ishmael. This is a better ending than we could have expected. And, and that's the story of Genesis chapter 16. But now I just want to spend a moment or two returning to uh, the time there where, where Hagar gave God a name. Uh, if you've got the Bible open, then you can see in verse 8, you can see that God knows things about Hagar. Uh, you can see in verse 11 that God has heard Hagar's misery. But Hagar's quite perceptive. She realizes there's something more going on here. God doesn't just know about her. God doesn't, doesn't just hear her, but, but he sees. God sees her. Notice there, it's not that God has seen her, as if that's something he did in the past, but, but she calls him the God who sees me. It's an ongoing thing. God has, God is, and God will always see me. And this point is made three times. Look at the start of verse 13. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You're the God who sees me. Again, at the end of verse 13, for she said, I've now seen the one who sees me. And again in verse 14, that is why the well was called Beer Lahai Roy, which of course means, well, I didn't know this, but my footnotes in the Bible tell me, it means the well of the living one who sees me. God sees Hagar from beginning to end and everywhere in between. And that changes. Knowing this, it changes Hagar. Now she's confident. She can be confident. She is not an insignificant Egyptian slave woman. Her life, her mistreatment, the troubles that she's endured, all the junk she's had to go through, been put through by, by Abram and Sarai, it hasn't just gone and slipped by unnoticed. God sees it. In fact, God sees her go through it. And so now she can return to Abram and Sarai, confident that God will see her, that he will notice her, and that he'll even take care of her, even in the hard parts of her life. It's kind of like being a kid. At some point in, kid, in kid's life, or probably pretty regularly, um, they all say the same thing, and it's, hey, look at me. You've all heard kids say that, right? Isaac, my son, is three. If you see him around later, you can tell. Isaac is someone who loves to run and jump and climb. He's a very active kid. Here's one of the things he's been doing a bit lately. I've been in the kitchen, and uh, he'll be there in the living room, and he'll say, dad, dad, look at me. And then he'll turn around and run out of the room, 
You think, well, what am I supposed to look at if you're going away? And then you'll hear his little footprints come running back in on the floor. And he, and he runs and he jumps and he launches himself in the air and lands on the couch. He thinks it's hilarious. Dad, look at me. Kids want you to look at them, don't they? They want you to, they want you to see them. They want your attention because it's a sign to them that, that they're important to you. That is what Hagar here realizes about God. He sees her because she's important to him. And, and, and that's a really key thing, especially when you're going through tough things, right? Like, you ever been at hospital? When you're in hospital and you're crook, and it can be made worse if you're there alone, right? But if you have someone come and sit with you in hospital, they, they, they contribute nothing to your health at that point, do they? But the fact that they're there speaks volumes. In, even in the midst of your hardest times, they're there with you. You're not going unnoticed. You still are, despite your ill health, you still are important to them. That's what Hagar realizes about God. He sees her. And friends, I want to say to you today, just as God saw Hagar, so your God sees you. And you know this. You can be confident of this, not because an angel of the Lord has come down and spoken to you, but we know this because a baby was born. Not Ishmael. But when the baby Jesus came into the world, it gave us confidence of this. You know, Ishmael's name, he reminded us that God heard Hagar when she was in her trouble. Jesus' name reminds us that God has come not just to hear us, but to be with us in our trouble. See, Jesus shows that God sees us. He sees us in the sense that he knows fully what it's like to live the human experience, you know, to, to be tired and, and busy and under pressure and to face temptation. Jesus knows what it's like to be there. He sees us in that. But he also sees us in the sense that he, he knows our, our, our deepest trouble, our deepest need. That is the need to be forgiven. The need to be made right with our God again. The, the need that we were facing, without which we would, we would end up, all of us, in, in hell. And yet Jesus steps in at that moment, even at a cost to himself. He sees us in our trouble and he rescues us from it. Even when we could do nothing about it, Jesus sees us in our desperate need and he does for us what we need him to do. So here I want to say to you, friends, for you to be confident too. When, when you are faced with troubles in life, when you are under pressure and, and, and when life takes a wrong turn and when things get hard and if it hasn't happened yet, friends, know that it will. Also know this, that your God sees you. What you're enduring has not gone unnoticed because your God sees you. Now, a few weeks ago, uh, we saw a video on the screen here from Ada. 
um, she was talking through some difficult things that she's lived through, including a time when she herself uh, was diagnosed with cancer. Um, and I wanted to hear, uh, again, just something that she said. She was talking about being in hospital, and it seemed like no one else would know what she was going through. No one else would get it. And yet the Bible reminded her that God sees and knows that he gets it. And that that was actually a real comfort. I want to play just a clip for you again. Take a look. Uh, one, of the most, one of the most significant parts of scripture that uh, one of my mentors pointed me to was the words of Psalm 139, uh, which remind us that each of us um, are known intimately by our maker um, in our moments uh, where we first breathe life, um, in the moments where we uh, feel uh, like we're in the depths of despair, um, our maker knows us so intimately. Um, and this truth was one of the most comforting things for me. Uh, when I was sick and feeling alone, feeling like no one else would understand or no one else was experiencing what I was experiencing, uh, God's word pointed me to know that um, the one who made me loves me and knows me and is intimately with me in that time. So here, friends, is our God. The God who sees us. Let me pray. Our Father, amidst her troubles, you saw Hagar, and we thank you for that. Amidst our great trouble, you've seen us, you've rescued us when we needed it through Jesus. You see us daily in the busyness and tiredness and temptations that we face. So teach us to rest in this truth, to know this, and to keep on living as your people, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.